Good evening. My name is Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life. And man, we're so excited to have you here for the beginning of our Christmas series and our Christmas season, especially if you're a first-time guest. And if you're here for the very first time, we are so excited to have you here. We prepared for you. We prayed for you. You are our honored guest. And we're just excited that you would give us a chunk of your time on Saturday night to come and hang out with us. In fact, we're so excited that you're here is we just want to get to know you. And so as you're leaving service today, if you would, if you would just stop by the Next Steps area right outside there. Spencer's going to be out there. She's awesome. We just want to get to know your name and and learn a little bit about you, get a chance to meet you. And we even have a couple of free gifts for you. Uh, So it's not just, they're not Christmas gifts. You get them all year round. But but you could get out there and and grab some stuff from us. We'd love to just meet you and get to know you a little bit. Um, This evening is starting our Christmas series here at New Life called Merry and Bright. And I love Christmas. In fact, this last year, I've had a couple of difficult messages to preach, and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you got to be here for at least one of them, Um, and I was so excited that I got to be part of the Christmas series because it's important, important stuff, but it's just not quite as heavy as what I've preached on uh, throughout this year so far. So I was so excited to get this opportunity uh, to be able to share in a Christmas series. I was thinking back, I'm not actually sure I have had the chance to preach during Christmas season uh, yet, but I mean, I love Christmas. Um, I don't know. For me, I don't know about like your life and your work, but it's like the slowest season for the areas of the church that I lead is this winter Christmas season. Kind of like after Thanksgiving, things start slowing down. There's this blinding speed um, that comes along with the fall of ministries kicking off and all sorts of stuff going on in small groups, and and I have so much craziness in my life. And so when Christmas comes, like it slows down a little bit for me. You get to spend time with friends and family and there's trees and there's decorations and there's gifts and there's uh, there's cookies, so many cookies, fantastic cookies. This is just cookies. So, I've been eating so many cookies. And, 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 you know, a good fireplace, which I don't have. So I, I put a fake one on YouTube on my TV in the morning, right? And it doesn't warm me up, but I turn the heat up a couple of degrees and I act like the fire's heating the room up for me, right? And so, you all, oh, man, I just love I love the Christmas time, and I've loved Christmas time since I was a kid, man, and I know a lot of kids do, but I'm still like at 30, I'm like, I'm like waking my wife up at like 5 a.m., and I'm like, is it time? Yeah, we got to, we need to get out of the tree. Do you want to get out of the tree? Like, is it, can we get up and get, like, that's still me, like, kind of like that kid at heart. Uh, and for me, like, Christmas time has always been sort of intimately linked to church. It's always been deeply connected to church, because I grew up in church. 
And so like around, you know, the Christmas season, Pastor Chris talked about Advent uh, this evening. Like that's what we did at church, right? We did Advent. And like the Saturday after Thanksgiving, um, people would get together and they would dust off all the Christmas decorations at the church and they would decorate the church for Christmas. And, and in the following weeks, right, there'd be, there'd be a family who'd come up each week and they would, you know, read a little thing and I guess it was probably from the Bible, and, and then they would light a candle, and we would light the candles each week, and I would watch as, you know, they would burn down, and um, it, you know, at my church, we did a live nativity growing up, which I'm so thankful we don't do here, um, but we did do it at the, you know, and so all the teenagers got to be in the live nativity for a couple of nights, and you could do a bunch of showings, and the cars would pull up, and I was Joseph one year, which is the worst gig, because you're out there the longest, so you're the coldest, and then I got to be a wise man, which is the best gig, because you're out there the shortest amount of times, so you get to be the, the warmest, and you get a crown, so that's also pretty awesome. As I like all these really fond memories associated with Christmas time and with church. And here at New Life, we don't have the candles that, you know, I had grown up. The decorations aren't the same. We don't have the live nativity, but we prepare for Christmas with our Christmas series every year, an acoustic Christmas, which is like my favorite thing that we do all year long is acoustic Christmas, which is, which is just coming up this upcoming week. And so, like, I get, I, get, I get so excited for those things because Christmas and church are so intimately linked for me. And the Christmas season is also the time that a lot of people start considering coming back to church or coming to church for the first time. So like the summer of vacations and busyness is over, and then, you know, for a lot of people, fall is like a really busy time with school and with work and with sports and activities and, and all of these things going on. And, and kind of like it begins slowing down, and people are like, maybe we, you know, maybe we should start going back to church. And it's this time where people begin reflecting on their life, and they begin sort of like thinking about what's most important to them. And we start spending time with friends and with family. And, uh, and, and we slow down enough to really reflect on our lives. And it can point out some things that we're missing, too. And so that's one of the reasons that, that people come back to church. And it's like one of the best times all year to invite someone to come to church with you because most people are already considering either coming back to church or going to church for the first time. And, and Christmas time is literally one of the only times that people are doing that because they're just kind of like in that spirit and in that, in that time. That's why we have so many Christmas Eve services this year. I mean, it landed kind of on a weird weekend because Christmas Eve's on a Monday, but we have seven Christmas Eve services, all candlelight services. We have one Saturday, four Sunday, and two more Monday night. And we're like all of those opportunities because we don't want to miss an opportunity uh, for you to invite an unchurched friend or family member to come with you at Christmas Eve services. And that's kind of like our big push throughout this entire Merry and Bright series is like you to, to build up the courage and, and, and to challenge yourself to invite new people who are unchurched, who've never been to church um, from work or from your family or, or from friends, wherever, and invite them to come to church with you uh, this, this year for Christmas Eve. And we have all of these opportunities for, for you to be able to do that and, and, and invite somebody here to church with you. So we hope that you will take advantage of that. And while our, our next step is kind of linked always to inviting somebody to come with you, the main overarching point of this series, which there's always one, we don't, we're not always explicit about it, but the main overarching point of this series is Jesus' light in us shines for others. Jesus' light in us shines for others. Christmas is one of the absolute best opportunities for us to allow the light of Jesus to shine through the way that we live, the way that we interact with people, and the things that we do for it to, to affect and change other people's lives. Because the world that we live in can be kind of a dark place. And if you don't believe me, it's because you skipped Black Friday shopping this year. Mm -hmm. I did not. 
I went out for it, right? I was in Target, the worst place on earth on Black Friday, right? I was out there for it. Man, after Black Friday, Christmas shopping is just in full swing, right? It's like, you know, it really does start in September. You know, they start with the Christmas stuff in September. Down. But, like, really, Black Friday is the moment when, like, Christmas shopping is just, like, going nuts, right? And, and you man, Christmas shopping can bring out some of the darkest things in our lives, can't it? Like, people are the most brutal to human beings during Christmas shopping time. Like, more brutal than they would norm. And, like, average, not like, not like what we would typically think is really bad people, right? They're mean to people all year long. But, like, average, good-hearted, like, um, Americans, right? We are the worst to one another during Christmas shopping time. Man, when I, you know, we get out there, right? And when I get out Christmas shopping, I am competing with everyone. I don't know what I'm trying to beat them at, but I'm beating them at something. When I get in the car, I'm competing to get to the shop first, the store first. And I, no one on the road might be going to the same place as me, but I am competing with them to get there. I'm going to get there first. And when I get there, I'm competing to get the closest parking spot. And when I get in the store, I'm competing to grab the deals and get out as fast as possible. And when I'm leaving, I'm competing to get in the shortest line with the fastest clerk, which inevitably is always the shortest line with the slowest clerk, right? Am I right? Someone else sees it before me, and they're like, that person's slow. I'm going over here, right? And they're in a line twice as long as me, and they get out before me. Ah, shucks, right? Like, but I, like I feel like... I feel like the worst parts of me come out at, like, I might be your friend here at church, but in Target at Christmas time, I am not your friend. I'm just not. Like, I am competing with you. And you, we laugh because we, we know, right, that's all of us. Like, even if we go do our Christmas shopping, and like, my dad used to do it in one day, and he would go to Walmart at like 4 a.m., right? And that would be like, like one day, he would just go in the morning, and he would get all of his Christmas shopping done, he didn't even talk to anybody or see anybody else, right? And even then, competitive, right? Because we just want to get in and get out. Man, the worst thought in our brains about another human being happens when we're leaving from an exhausting day of Christmas shopping and someone makes a right on red in front of us and we have to slam on our brakes, right? Like I think the worst things I think all year about another human being is thought about that person who pulled out in front of me. Man, we compete and, and, and man, Christmas can bring out some of the coolest parts about our lives. They make us reflect on some of the, the best things in life, but it can bring out some of the darkest things for us. While Christmas focuses on some of the most important parts of life, it can also bring out some of the worst in us. For others, man, this season is a reminder of maybe things that you don't have. Maybe it's a lack of funds to buy Christmas gifts for the kids. Maybe it's the loss of somebody that was close to you who, uh, who you would usually celebrate Christmas with. Christmas is great, but it can remind us of how dark our world is. And when I was a kid, I mean like a little kid, I was terrified of the dark, just scared to death of being in the dark. And most kids are at some point in their life, but man, we at my brother and I had bunk beds, right? And I would always try to convince my brother to sleep in the top bunk with me so that I didn't have to be scared at night. So there'd be somebody who would be close to me at night. I had like all of these stuffed animals as a kid, and I think most girls have that, but I did. And so I had all these stuffed animals. I remember I had this giant red giraffe that was full of, it wasn't even a stuffed animal. It was full of like those little styrofoam pellets. You remember stuffed animals that had those on them? So when they did spring a hole, it was horrible for months, right? Yeah, and, and so I would stack all my stuffed animals around the outside edge of my bed, right? So they would block the bad dream spirits from getting to me, right? And they would, they would guard me at night. I was scared. I was terrified 
terrified of the dark as a kid. And, and I wasn't really scared of the dark. I was just scared of what the dark could be concealing. I, I, was a scared, I was scared of what the dark might be hiding. And I didn't have any reason, like nothing bad had happened to me to make me afraid of the dark, but I was naturally afraid of the unknown. I was naturally afraid of the things that I couldn't see. I think for many of us, we can, we can resonate with that. Maybe we're not afraid of the dark, but we're afraid of something else. Like, I remember being a little kid, and I would come into our basement, right, and uh, you close the door, and sometimes, like, the, the lights were, like, a little finicky in our house, and so, you know, it would be pitch black in my basement, and I'd have to get from, like, one side of the basement over to the other to get to the light switch to turn on the lights, and I remember, like, that feeling, that, like, anxiety, like, gripping your heart, right, it's like you're making your way across, and then, like, your imagination starts playing tricks on you, and you, like, I can see something or someone right there, sort of at the edge of my vision, hiding in the darkness of my basement, and, like, my heart would, like, stop, and I couldn't take a breath, and, and I would, like, sprint, like, run across the dark basement, like, like lunging for the wall to get the switch. You turn on the switch, the relief would just wash over me as I realized that there was nothing in the darkness that I actually had to fear. And Jesus told his, his disciples that those who followed him would be a light in a dark world. And so this is what I, like Jesus' followers are to be like hope and relief. The hope and relief of a light switched on in a dark and scary basement. Jesus' followers are to be like the hope and relief of a light switched on in a dark and scary basement. And maybe you've never had that experience before and you were like a tough kid who wasn't scared of the dark and you probably got a girlfriend in like fifth grade too. Um, but that was not me. I can really relate to that. I can relate to that terrified feeling and the relief of that light switch coming on in my basement. And that's, that's the interaction that people are supposed to have with Christians. That's the interaction. That should be, that should be the feeling, that feeling of relief it is the feeling that people should have when, when they interact with us as followers of Jesus, the people who are lost in a dark world, right? Jesus said this, but he, uh, the, it was written down by um, a guy named Matthew, who is one of his disciples, and Jesus was teaching something called Sermon on the Mount, and during that message, he said this, and it's what our series is, uh, is pulled from mostly. It says this, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. He's talking about us, right? No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on its stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus calls us a city on a hilltop, a lamp on a stand. And he says to allow our good deeds to be shown and shine for everyone to see so that people would turn and give glory to God in heaven. But the problem is, is that we don't use lamps and we don't build cities on hills. You know, when Jesus was saying this at the time, oil lamps were their primary way of, of having any sort of light. So at night inside your home or on the street at night, your, your light was your oil lamp. And so an oil lamp was very, very important to them. They'd be able to connect with that really, really well. Um, and, and in the same way, a city on a hill, we don't really build cities on a hill. and It doesn't really make a lot of sense to us in the world that we live. But uh, at the time, they would always build their cities on a hill for two reasons primarily. One, because it was the most defensible, right? Because there weren't airplanes 
plans to drop bombs. Instead, there were soldiers who would march on, on cities. And on top of that, the valleys were the best places to grow crops. Um, and so they wouldn't build their, their cities in, inside of valleys. They built them on hills. And over time, um, they, would, they would build a city, and it would get destroyed, and they would build a city, and it would get destroyed, and the next civilization would build a city and get destroyed. And it would develop this, this mound, this hill. We call them nowadays, archaeologists call them, Tells and these tells are layers upon layers upon layers of cultures that came in and ransacked the city, burned it to the ground, destroyed it, and then rebuilt it from the ground up. And that would happen over and over again in Israel. There's all of these tells, and and, and also we deal with a lot of light pollution. So when you walk outside at night, you can't really see the stars, uh, and that's why you know people go to like the mountains and places where there's not a lot of light pollution. You can see the stars, but then there there wasn't light pollution, and so if there was a city built on a hill near you, everybody knew where it was. There was no way to hide it. It'd be the only place with multiple light sources. Um, and, and on top of that, it was, it was always built on a hill. And so Jesus' followers were able to relate with this analogy really well. But us today, it's hard. And so uh, we, Pastor Chris, Pastor Brad, and I kind of began thinking about like light and, and what light represents in our culture. If we can't connect with that analogy, what analogy can, can we connect with? Uh, and we came up with the idea of a lighthouse. And in fact, that's our take-home point today. And our take-home point's the one point I'm going to seek to make that we can take home with us and live out in the week ahead, it's this. We are lighthouses in a lost and dark world. We, followers of Jesus, as we are lighthouses in a lost and dark world. When I started writing this message, I knew a little bit about lighthouses and some of their purpose, um, but I, I didn't know a whole lot, so I wanted to do a little research and learn a little bit about lighthouses. So lighthouses started out primarily as people or families would build fires um, on hillsides um, so that uh, fishermen would be able to know where the land was and be able to come in um, from the sea or, or from the ocean or from the lake at night. And over time, um, they began building platforms along the coast, and they would, ha- oh, they would have these, these bonds fires on the platforms right on the coast, so people would be able to see where, where they were going, how to get back home. Uh, over time, they began to build them into towers, and eventually, the most famous lighthouse that was ever made was a lighthouse that was built in uh, Alexandria, Egypt in 280 BC. It was over 330 foot tall. It got destroyed by an earthquake, which is a, which is a big bummer. That's a bummer if you built this giant thing, and then it got destroyed by an earthquake. That's a bummer. Um, but they had this enormous you can, you can actually visit it in Assassin's Creed Origins if you really want to. And there's this giant, giant uh, lighthouse, and it was to direct people to the safety of Alexandra's harbor. And so the city's harbor, this lighthouse, was to direct sailors into the safety of that harbor. That was what its purpose was. But the lighthouse got a new purpose a little bit later on, um, whenever it was taken to the English Channel. And it was built in the English Channel to help sailors um, avoid danger. It was the first... Uh, lighthouse that was ever built completely, 100% around inside of water. It was exposed entirely to water. Henry Winstanley built it in 1698, and it was to help uh, sailors navigate around the Eddystone Rocks, which were notorious for sinking ships. And so lighthouses were built to uh, bring people into safety, um, in the safety of the harbor, but lighthouses were also built to warn sailors of the dangers of the sea. Now, a sailor has no need, someone on a ship has no need for a lighthouse during the day. A lighthouse only has purpose at night when you can't see, because during the day you can see. You have no need for a lighthouse because you can see where the port is, you can see where the dangerous rocks are. But at night, sailors depended on these lighthouses to be able to navigate safely around hazards and into the safety of ports, and we live in 
a dark world. So in the same way, people who are trying to navigate kind of the dark waters of this life need lighthouses around them that can help direct them to safety and to warn them of danger. And that's really what I think being a Christian, a portion of what being a Christian is about. So we're going to talk about what we can learn from lighthouses and what we can learn from light in our world in two ways, two things that I think we as Christians need to exemplify and two things that we need to be. The first is this. We are supposed to be lights that guide others to safety. We are supposed to be lights that guide others to safety. And we can find all kinds of scriptures and applications for this. Jesus said, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He said those who were thirsty would come to him and he would give them something to drink. So there's lots of evidence for Jesus being uh, someone who is refreshing. And it's clear through the teachings of Jesus that while being his follower would not be easy, um, we would find a, a, a supernatural peace, a supernatural comfort, and a supernatural life through following him and following his teaching. So when we encounter people in this world, they need to experience us as Christians right, as a light that would direct them to a reflection of Jesus that would direct them to the safety of the harbor because we are encountering people all the time, every day, when we're, when we're Christmas shopping, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're at school, we're encountering people all the time who are kind of like they're trying to navigate these dark and scary waters at night and they're sort of like they're stuck on the rocks or the ship is leaking and they're just scared that the ship is going to sink and that they're going to drown, right? And they don't really know. And people hide that, that sort of fear and that sort of pain behind all sorts of masks and, and lashing out and doing all sorts of terrible things, but we experience people and we encounter people every day, and you, you're brushing up shoulders against them when you come to church, right, who are afraid. They're afraid that their ship is going to sink. They're afraid that they're going to drown, and when people experience us, they should experience Christians and Christianity and the church as a light that's guiding them to the safety of a harbor. The way we live ought to draw people looking for guidance and safety to Jesus and to the church. The way we live ought to draw people looking for guidance and safety to Jesus and to the church. Unfortunately today, many Christians have the exact opposite effect. Too often, the way we live drives people away from Jesus instead of pulling them towards Jesus. Too often when people should experience grace and forgiveness and love and light, what they experience and what they see is hypocrisy on display or, or they get the harsh end of, of judgment and of hate. And this is the experience that a lot of people who don't know Jesus have with Christians in our culture. Can you imagine a sailor who's lost at night and doesn't know which way to go but is staying away from the safety of the harbor because of his fear of the lighthouse. It's preposterous. It's preposterous. But it is many people's experience with Christians in our culture today. So when we encounter people, we should be like this, this light and this life-giving force that when people sort of brush up with us, I mean, we get such a cool opportunity because there's so much like just garbage in our world around Christmas time that people are suffering through and people are dealing with and people just being rude to each other and brutal to one another, right? They're just hating on one another. And we get this opportunity to be this like this life of peace and of grace and of kindness and of compassion and of tenderness during this season where people can look at us and be like, man, that person knows something that I don't know. They, they, they've discovered something that I haven't discovered. Something about their life tells me as I'm encountering them and as I'm interacting with them that they must know some sort of safe harbor. They must know some sort of peace. They must know some sort of tranquility that I just simply do not know. And this is what the, church, the first church it was for people. 
They weren't physically safe by any means. In fact, the Romans and the Jews were persecuting them, eventually murdering them, slaughtering them, torturing them, uh, accusing them, imprisoning them. So it wasn't physically safe at all. But what the people who began to follow Jesus during the first church experienced was a supernatural peace and a supernatural comfort in the salvation and the community of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so people were drawn to that safety and drawn to that comfort, even though there wasn't physical safety inside of the church, but people ought to be drawn to the harbor because of the way that our light shines. I once heard Pastor Barry tell me a story, by once, I mean like as I was writing the sermon, he told me it, um, about a, a military class destroyer on the ocean. And the military class saw the light of another ship, and you know, at night lights, I don't know, ships do lights things to signal, this is, this is lights, these are lights on ships right here. That's what my hands are right now. Okay, and they're signaling back and forth to each other. So the military class destroyer sends a, a signal to the other ship and says, like, hey, like, you're on a collision course with us. Like, change direction. And the, the, the light signals back, and the, the ship says, nope, we're not going to change direction. You change course. And the, the destroyer's like, man, we're, we're a military class destroyer. They're, like, signal back. Like, hey, uh, we are a military destroyer. Um, you should change course because we are not, and you should rethink your decisions in life, right? And, and the light signals back, and it just simply says, it's right, like, hey, we're a lighthouse, but you can try if you want to, right? <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny, but as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be lights that warn others of danger. That's the second thing, right? As followers of Jesus, we are to be lights that warn others of danger. The world that we live in is full of hazards. It's full of pitfalls. And as people navigate that dark world, they need some sort of guiding light to warn them about some of the things that could just shipwreck them and destroy their lives. In this world, it is full of things that can destroy people's lives, can absolutely wreck people. And it's not our license to browbeat people with the truth. Our truth always needs to be paired with extravagant love. But we are keepers of truth in our culture, and we're keepers of truth in every culture. It's our responsibility to fight for justice and to stop people from destroying their lives. It's our responsibility to be on the front lines fighting against injustice and compassionately educating people about the things in this world and the dangers of following the ways of this world. In some ways, we have to let our light shine through the good deeds that we do. And, and in some ways, that's about loving people as well, where they are. It's about meeting people where they are and about showing love and, and tenderness and kindness for those people. When people look at our lives and see the way that we live, it should make them take a personal inventory of their own life. It should make them examine themselves and say, like, what is it that I'm doing wrong or what is it that I don't have that this person seems to have amongst adversity, amongst problems, amongst loss, amongst difficulty. These people seem to have this hope that prevails that I simply, I just don't understand it. Where is it coming from? The way we live our lives as Christians and the way, what we stand up for should make people examine their own lives. When we're submitting to Jesus and following the leading of the Holy Spirit, it will cause others to look at their lives and wonder what they're missing. It will cause others 
to look at their lives and wonder what they're missing. And that's to say it should, because here's the truth. All too often, the only difference between the life of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and the life of someone who doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, the only difference is where they spend Sunday morning and what rating of movies they watch. And let me just give you a heads up. If that is the only way that Jesus is changing our lives, there is no compelling reason whatsoever for anyone to leave the ways of this world and follow Jesus. Because we, as his followers, are not convicted nor compelling enough. Because our lives just haven't been radically changed by the fact that he died for us on the cross. Being lights that warn others of danger is as much about loving them as it is sharing the truth with others. The people that we encounter ought to be fascinated with Jesus because of the way we live our lives. It ought to cause people to take a personal inventory of the way that they've lived and the things that they've done and the decisions that they're making and ask themselves how they want to change. It ought to inspire people to ask us what's going on with us and give us the opportunity to tell them that my life has been radically changed by Jesus Christ. Because we need to be lights that are warning people of danger. So we've talked about two different types of lighthouses this evening, but the reality is, is that we're called to be both at the same time. We're called to be a light that signals to people that this is a safe place, that this person, Jesus, this relationship with him, this life that I'm living is a place that you can find comfort and you can find peace and you can find safety and salvation in it. And at the same time, we need to be a light that is warning people of danger. So if you're a follower of Jesus today and you're in the room and man, like you're a Christian and like you've been coming to church and you love Jesus, then I'm asking you to ask a couple of difficult questions and to take a difficult inward walk. When someone looks at your life, do they see the safety? I lost my place. When someone looks at your life, do they see the safety of someone who can guide them to calmer waters? Would they, when they look at your life, see a bastion of truth and goodness in a world of hate and division? Do people look at your life and want what you have because of your relationship with Jesus? Does your life look different than the world around you beyond where you spend Sunday mornings and what movies you watch? If you decided not to be a Christian today, would your life be any different other than reclaiming an hour each weekend? It's like a scary, scary question for me to ask myself. Are you a light on a hill, a lamp, or a lighthouse for those that you encounter? Or when you examine your life, are you adding to the confusion and to the darkness of the world around you and to the lives around you? And if you don't like the answer to those questions as much as I don't like the answer to those questions, when I take that inward walk and I examine my own life and I'm like, like not doing so hot in many of these areas, then the next step for this week is really meant for, for you and for me. And this week's next step is this. I will reflect Jesus' light in my thoughts, words, and actions this Christmas season. That's a tall order. It is not easy to reflect the thoughts, words, and actions of Jesus when you're Christmas shopping. It is not easy when you're home with your family. It is not easy when you're at work. It's exceptionally hard for me when I'm driving. It is not easy when you're at church. It doesn't matter where you go. This 
is not easy. So what we need to do is we have to focus in on Jesus in order to reflect. We need to submit our will to the will of the Holy Spirit. We need to submit ourselves to the teachings of Jesus and focus our lives on him each day that we can reflect his words, his thoughts, and his actions to the people around us. And if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, but man, this service or this experience has been kind of a lighthouse for you. Maybe it was like the person at the door who was greeting you who was just friendly. Man, you haven't seen a friendly face in a really long time. Maybe it was just kind of like the warm atmosphere and the Christmas decorations and like, man, this, this seems like there's something here. Maybe it was the hospitality or the people at the doors welcoming you. Maybe it was the worship this evening and man, that just really connected with your heart and with your spirit and you really felt like God was speaking to you through. Maybe it was part of our message tonight and, and you just felt like God is just showing you, there's this lighthouse now that's showing you towards a safer harbor and into calmer waters. If that's you and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, then you're going to have the opportunity to do that tonight, to take that step, to make that commitment. It's the best commitment that you're going to make today. It's, a, it's the best commitment you will ever make but it's definitely the best commitment that you can make today. In fact, what we learn from the Bible, the Apostle Paul told us that when we confess Jesus with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved, that we can be brought in to the safety of this harbor and be part of not just the church family, right, but be part of the family with Jesus Christ. God goes from calling us his enemies to calling us his sons, and his daughters. And if that's you today, man, we're going to pray a prayer together in a moment, and you're going to get this opportunity to ask Jesus just to come into your life for the very first time, and you get a chance at a new life and at a fresh start. Jesus called it being born again. And you can live that new life and that fresh start today and begin to be a light in a dark and dangerous world. And if you're here today, man, after I'm done praying this prayer, we're going to pray it together. Church family, if you're here and you're like, you're like wondering, like, how am I going to do that this week? I'm going to say a prayer for you as well at the end, just praying that my church family, that we would band together, that individually but also corporately as a family, that we would be a light in the darkness during this season for people in this community and all across the world, wherever we have influence at, that we would have this opportunity. Man, if you're watching online tonight, that you would just be experiencing some light and some love and some life through our body here, through our family here, that we would be able, wherever we go and whatever we do, that we would be unified through the power of the Holy Spirit to be light and life and love for the people that we encounter this week. So as I close, we're going to pray together. We're going to put a, a prayer up here on the screen, and if you're here and you're accepting Jesus for the first time, you can keep your eyes on that screen. It's also inside your connection on the, on the outline, and you can pray this right along with me. And church family, would you pray this with me as well, just in unison, reaffirming your faith um, just along with us. Jesus, today I am confessing that I haven't had it all together. I am confessing that I have been searching for something better in this life. Today, I am confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart that you are God and that you died for me. I am asking you to come into my life and become my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, I'm asking you right now just to be with our church family. I'm asking you, Father, for to be with those who just joined our church family, who just joined your eternal family right now, who just asked you to come into their life and be their savior, meaning saves from sin and death, and Lord, meaning owner. I'm praying for them. I'm praying for our church family that we would, A, be able to go out of this place and that our faith wouldn't stick to these doors and our faith wouldn't stick to these floors and our faith wouldn't stick to these walls, but our faith would go out with us into the communities and the places that we go and the places that we work into our family and in everything that we do, God, that we would be able to be light to a world, that we would shine, that your good deeds would shine through us, and that people would be drawn to the safety of a relationship with you. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to be closing up today, but before we do that, I have a couple of announcements for you, man. If you have a connection card, which you got on your way in, and you want to fill that out for us, especially if you're a first-time guest, I told you at the beginning, just take it with you when you're done, and you can turn it in out there. If you're a regular attender, you already know what to do with it, so I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. Um, Christmas Eve is coming up. It's right around the corner. We already said something about it. I said something about it earlier, but Saturday night, 6.30, Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, Sunday night, 5.37, and Monday night, 5.30 and 7, we're having Christmas Eve gatherings. They're all the same, um, so you can come out for them. All candlelight services. Please come out for Christmas Eve, then. We would love, love to have you and your families and your friends and all the unchurched people that you can invite come out and join us on Christmas Eve. The last real quick announcement is that tomorrow night, I think at 530 to 7, Pastor Chris, 7 to 830 here at New Life, uh, Pastor Chris and Bill are going to be doing a little presentation on their trip to Israel. So if you want to come out and hear about the trip to Israel and maybe look at signing up for the 2020 tour um, of Israel that New Life is hoping to be doing, come on out tomorrow night, Galaxy Worship Center. That's it for now. If you want, go ahead, take a moment, fill out that connection card. We'll turn it in after this evening's announcements. Christmas is just around the corner and we have lots to let you know about. An Acoustic Christmas returns to New Life this week, Thursday, December 6th and Friday, December 7th at 7 p.m. There's only a few tickets left for the Thursday service, so stop at the Welcome Center to get your tickets. Remember to bring a plate of cookies to share at intermission. New Life will celebrate Christmas with seven worship services, and each service will have the same format, message, and candlelight. Invite your family and friends to celebrate with us. See your connection for dates and times. Our Christmas Eve offering gives us an incredible opportunity to help people in our local community. We call it Compassion Close to Home because it provides funds for the coming year to bless people in our own community and those who are in special need. Start planning now to give generously to this extraordinary opportunity. It allows us to serve those around us. New Life small groups help build communities that change lives. The fall groups have just finished and we're already preparing for the new groups in February. Please be praying and considering whether God is calling you to lead a small group. If you feel called to lead a group, mark your calendar and sign up on your connection card for small group leader training. It will be held on either Monday, December 10th, or Wednesday, December 12th. Once you've been trained, you can join the team of leaders who are building communities that change lives here at New Life.
like the most pump you up music in the world for announcements. If that doesn't get your attention and watch announcements, there's literally nothing that will. Um, I get the opportunity when I'm preaching to introduce uh, our offering, and I always get the chance to thank you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do, for the generosity, for making this such an incredible place to work, for letting me have a job, um, for all of the things that you do through your giving, for the outreach that you have all throughout this world. It's really cool to be part of a church where we're not just doing things right here in our community and trying to keep the lights on, but we're doing things all across the world. We're starting a new partnership up now. We're praying about a new partnership in Pittsburgh, and uh, and it's because of your generosity that we're able to partner with these missionaries and see uh, the new life of Jesus Christ reach people that we would never be able to reach without it. So thank you so much. As the ushers come forward, just keep that in mind as uh, we give this evening's tithes and offerings and the commitments of our hearts.
praise tonight, church. Hallelujah. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for uh, these offerings and these gifts, for the commitments of people's hearts. God, I pray, especially for those who committed their life to you for the very first time today, that you would take that commitment and that you would just expand it, Father, to this area, this region, to the very ends of the earth, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to throw that next step up there one last time. If that's a way that you want to live this week, would you say it with me? I will reflect Jesus' light in my thoughts, words, and actions this Christmas season. You're going to go out into a world that uh, is, is joyful and, and on the surface is jubilant and happy. And I mean, they're just like drinking, they're like listening to Christmas tunes on the radio and, and drinking like eggnog and they're, they're doing their Christmas thing and they're getting ready for the holidays. But deep inside, there's a lot of people who really, really hurt in this season for a whole lot of reasons. And you're going to brush shoulders with them as you leave today and as you go out tomorrow and as you Christmas shop during this season. So let us as followers of Jesus have our minds focused on being a light in everything that we do. Don't allow Christmas shopping in this season to not be part of exercising our faith in everything that we do this week. In your name, amen.